I'm a student here boarding at Wong of the Caps. We would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We acknowledge their continuing cultural and spiritual connection to the land, waters, community. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hi, my name's Helen McCarthy. I was one of the researchers um, on the Wongatha project with Lizzie Jackson. Lizzie's with me today. Hey, Lizzie. Yeah, hey, how you going? Uh, I'm really good. I haven't seen Lizzie for a while since the project came to um, a tying up of a bow with a real sense of um, how beautiful was it to do a, a research project, not only with the Wongatha students, but bringing Lizzie in. I met Lizzie as a um, as a Curtin University student doing her professional experience for at a school in Esperance. And as soon as I walked into the classroom, I just knew that this, this pre-service, this person was going to be a very significant graduate who would go on and become a significant teacher. And then I had the privilege to actually working with Lizzie on this Wongatha project. And, you know, like the, the best thing was seeing Lizzie take on a setting which wasn't easy at the school and push through because she had aspirations and she knew where she was going. So she had to do a bit of bobbing and weaving through the troughs and the, the lows and the highs to get through, and she did. She persisted. And that's one of the attributes that good teachers working with in Aboriginal schools need. Well, all teachers need it for all mm. kids anyway. So we got to be together and we came to Wongatha to do this research project. And I'd been going out to Wongatha for a year before and working with Marianne, who had then gone on to Jarrigan College in Queensland. So I was not really happy to let Marianne go. But then when I found out that I had Lizzie... And get stuck with this brand new <laughs> graduate student, graduate teacher. Yeah. So not only did she give me carte blanche of her classroom on every Wednesday... We rode this little incredible journey together with the students. So one of the things that we really wanted to do was to create a learning journey. And it's based on that, or the, you know, create a, um, a learning map. And it was based on Younger Porter's, um, eight ways where they say the documentation of the journey really needs to be visual so the students can see where they're going. And if it's not has no purpose, they won't want to be a part of it. Mm. I remember we, um, at the beginning of the second year, we got a new cohort of students into my class and we were trying to explain the project and the relevance to it and what we'd already done and where we were aiming to go and we just kept getting blank faces week after week after week. And then Helen came with the idea of doing this learning journey on the wall and we spent a couple of days designing this wall and putting it all up. And then the next Wednesday when they all came in, we were able to show them this beautiful visual map 
of exactly what we were trying to do. And it was then that the light kind of went on and everybody went, oh, okay, I get it. Now we can start working. And what they really could see too was this, you know, this concept that Miriam Rose talks about, Dadiri, this deep listening, Mm -hmm. that when they heard the interviews that the previous students the year before had done, the voice of the young people really came out and they realised that finding out if the students that had been before them had learnt or had been suitably prepared for the transition from Wangatha into their the next part of their lives as young people, young adults, they could see the real purpose in it because when they heard the stories, they were so authentic, weren't mm, they? They were, and they were from people that they knew, people mm. from home who'd been to Wangatha years beforehand. They knew those people that like were on the recording. Harrison. Yeah. Harrison was a good one because um, we had a lot of students in class at that time that were from Harrison's community and they asked to listen to his and just were dead quiet and soaked it all in. And any time we were flagging in class and running out of ideas to write or we were a bit stalled with where the project was going, we would listen to Harrison again and go, right, back on track, let's keep going. Yeah, we were a band of brothers, he said. He did. And the best thing was when we did the um, transcript, the students then listened to the interview and matched the transcript. And I had never seen such rigorous researchers. Mm. And the other thing that we did, we didn't call them students. We called them researchers. And they really, they, they really sort of pumped up that. They yeah. felt good, didn't they? Yeah, because it was them designing the process. It was them doing the work. We were just providing the materials, really. Um, they were the ones that said, no, you can't question like that. You can't interview like that. We don't talk like that. When we did the transcript, it was the students that said, nah, Harrison doesn't talk like that. He wouldn't have said that. That's been misscribed. You need to correct it. It was wonderful to see them standing up and taking ownership um, of every interview and saying, no, that's not a right, that's not a word we use. It would be this. Um, And they really got into member checking and ringing Harrison and saying, we just want to clarify. And it was brilliant to see these young people stand up and take that dominant leadership role in our project. And at the same time we were doing this, uh, Haywire, the ABC Voices for Youth, um, was being promoted and we asked the students, you know, is any, would you like to be a part of this? And they said, oh, well, you know, we don't actually really want to write. We don't, don't want to really do it. But then when they heard the voices of these other young people, they, they saw there was really purpose in that too. So, you know, as a result of them writing their own narrative, they started to see that, you know, they they actually, there was something about who they were and where they wanted to go and the people that had influenced them. And, you know, four of them, we we submitted 11, didn't we? 11, yeah. So 11 were submitted to um, Sydney and four got shortlisted. And it was just fantastic to see the self-esteem. And then in the end, you know, one of these young people ends up winning the whole haywire. The region. Yeah. Yeah. It was just fantastic. And they were so savvy because they'd already learned how to do podcasts. They knew 
um, you know, the natural cadence of mm. them of wanting to have a yarn. And like, um, can we use names? P E D R O. Um, when he said, "Look, I, you know, we got to like." It's it's good learning, you know, white fella uh, research methodology, and things like informed consent, and they use the lexicon. They did, yep. And we can use this very comfortably, but we actually see the best methodology for us is the way we are, and that's through yarning. Yarning. So all of a sudden, or not all of a sudden, it was always there. It was, and like we said here, where's that little piece of paper that said, we knew we were wrong but we didn't know right? Mm. And when Pedro said that, it was like, yep, yep, it's where we are. We actually spoke today about how one of the early interviews that we did was very, very rigid, very, very white, and the poor girl was sat there in front of a class of about 30 or 40 students, I think it was. It was, yeah, (laughs) with two video cameras on her and six interviewers with microphones and she was terribly nervous and we ended up having to apologise to her for for the trauma and we redid her about six months later, remember? Yeah. In the much more relaxed one-on-one yarn. And it was beautiful because there they sat and they just, um, Nanapa had her... um, she was just in the room, in the girls' room, and she just naturally wanted to share mm. the story. You know, and you know, this is this is one of the first females to go to Wongatha. She graduates, ducks the school, and goes on to study at Curtin and does um, certificate three in childhood studies. You know, this is this young woman who then you know, goes on and wants to do education and works at Nelson Primary School and her contribution has been fantastic. And now she's an elder, she's an artist, um, she's very articulate, she's a part of Darak. She gives presentations, um, she presents information to, like, the Minister for the Environment. She's an advocate. Oh, yeah. She's a role model. And she's the one that was saying things like um, to the students when they um, when she was having a yarn with them, and she was saying, "You know, I felt invisible, and I just knew that this is not the way I, I wanted to live." Mm. But it was good to see the students at the end of it go, "Oh, they tried so hard when they did that interview. They did exactly yeah. what we asked them yeah. to do, and they put in a hundred and ten percent." But then at the end of it, they said, "This is not how we talk. Mm. We don't talk like that." This is not the right way to do it. And then it became more student-led. As they realised that we valued their opinion and their voice, they started saying, no, we don't talk like that. No, we don't interview like that. No, we don't want videos, just audios. No, we don't like those questions. Yeah. It was so good. That was the best part, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And now we've got one student at school now who's not part of the original group, but she came about halfway through and she remembers the wall going up, the learning wall going up, and the pride that she has when she sees the research team come to Wongatha like they did today is so beautiful. She has her artwork on the app. She has a major part in a lot of podcasts, and she's really, really proud of that. And it all started with that one little yard. Mm. All right, so so I'm just I'm just saying we're saying we're saying Lizzie and I are saying that we're going to use younger Porter's five ways of of coming to knowledge, and we how 
close observation and demonstration and then the passing on of this knowledge and assisting others. So we gra- we gradually stepped back and we passed on this knowledge collectively as as these young researchers did through yarning mm. and and they did it through deep listening and thinking and reflecting and understanding the importance of hearing the stories of people who had sometimes horrible things happen to them and having to build resilience no 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 one's story was easy and and that that was sort of comforting to them to know that they will make mistakes and there will be someone that will have their back or the community mm. will come through. We kind of gave them the the bare bones at the beginning and said this is where we'd like to end up and off they ran, didn't they? Um, yeah, and, and one of the ones, one of the really interesting ideas that we sort of started to re- realise that it was through storytelling was this creation of metaphors that the the young people really got metaphors, and um, younger Porter talks about using metaphors. Um, they have integrity and they're multi layered with mm. complex levels that have to be accessed by people who have prerequisite knowledge, yep. and that's why the young people got it. I think yeah, that's exactly why they got it because I'm I'm a white girl. I'm from the city. I have no sphere of reference. Why should they believe me? They believed Harrison. Mm. Yeah. And little things like, um, you know, Younger Porter talks about um, the school, that um, he went to a school in the Territory and they used the metaphor of an Aboriginal fishing net as the education framework. And this may have worked as an idea of school and community weaving their different threads together to make the net and then the students using the nets to catch fish with the fish representing knowledge and social and cultural capital. But this isn't the case the fish in the net represented the children themselves and the river represented the community, promoting a very problematic image of the school as an entity entity that captures children and takes them away to be consumed. And so that was always at the back of our minds, wasn't it? Mm. You know, when we were, we were talking about um, Miss Jackson's classrooms, a zoo, it sounds terrible. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Miss Jackson's an angel. <laughs> it was good. I remember when you first came in and they were like, I, I was a very new graduate and I was struggling with talking too much to them and I actually had one student and he would say, Miss, you're talking too much, shush now. And I'd be like, right, sorry, shushing now. And then when you first came, you could see that student go, another white girl, here we go. And then you started speaking in language. And as a class, they just all kind of like stopped and stared at you like, what was that? And I think that created the belief in them that you were genuine and that you were trustworthy because you'd lived on country and you could speak language and you had all the artifacts and all the stories and you just completely broke through all the white lady barriers and dragged me along with the ride and it was fantastic. It was so lovely.